Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we are going to be talking about the expectations going into this season and who we should be looking out for as Thunder fans because the season is fast approaching. Our preseason game, our first preseason game against the Spurs, it's Saturday at 6 p.m. I believe, I don't know if it's on Fox Sports Oklahoma, but you can watch it through their website. I don't think there is a region restriction. I don't think there's a me- like a little blackout going on. I think we're in the clear for that. So that's where you should be watching it. Uh, the Thunder website, it's probably on the app as well. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was just the expectations going into our season. Now, the media, they all kind of have the same, the same kind of stories. All the big media people in terms like ESPN, NBC, like sports, all that stuff. The consensus is that we're just the worst team in the Western Conference. In my opinion, I think that what the media thinks, we're going to do a lot better than what they're saying we are. There's a high chance we are last in the conference, but their thought is that like we're just throwing out some random guys on the court. Our roster is not terrible. SGA is a great NBA player. Lou Dort is a great NBA player. We are kind of confused on what the small forward spot is because Ariza is dealing with some more... I, I believe he's dealing with some situation. So he's not with the team right now. Maybe Dort gets, gets moved up to small forward and we patch up shooting guard. There's just some rotation things we need to patch up. Small forward's the big hole. I like Basie a lot and I like Horford a lot. So it's not a terrible starting five. And for a team that's last in the conference, that's a extremely good starting five to have. And that just speaks volumes to how good the Western Conference is this year. So it's really not even a bad thing when these websites are saying that we're going to be last. They have us, uh, ESPN has us with 24.9 wins. That's their projection. 72 win season. So if you want to scale that up to 82, it's 28.4 games, which is not bad. I actually think that's kind of realistic, so I'm not necessarily hurt by it, but then you look at the Eastern Conference, there are three teams worse than us in the Eastern Conference whenever you compare how our side, the Western Conference standings and the Eastern Conference, there's three teams in the East that are projected to have worse records than us, and it's Cleveland, Detroit, and New York, and I do think those three teams on paper probably are worse than us. There's only so many wins and so many losses that get dished around. I find it hard to believe that they somehow manage to all have worse records than us. I think it's going to be tight, uh, depending on who gets those, uh, who has the top three best lottery odds. I I think it's fair to say those three teams are in the mix with us as well. So, NBC Sports also has that. They have um, Cleveland, Detroit, and New York all being worse, and then it's us at um what is it like 27th in the league or whatever so it's not terrible my belief when it comes to those things a lot of these just preseason stuff like the projections mainly they're just to stir stuff up uh whenever you're looking at espn like the top 100 players espn was trending like crazy this week because they released their top 100 players like they do every year and everyone seems to complain about it and there's a real reason why. It's because every single time they just want to make some terrible calls that will stir things up. For instance, 
They had Zion rank 19th above dudes like Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, and there's a lot more. They know exactly what they're doing throwing names out like this. And trying to compare, I believe whenever it comes to the standings, it's not really about like making headlines or anything. I think they're a little bit more serious. But just know, I mean, whenever they make these projections, they're trying to get some good storylines, some good headlines to throw out. Uh, just like the Zion one, and just like the Lonzo one. They had Lonzo ranked 54th over Christian Wood, who was 55. Zach Levine was 56. DeMar DeRozan was like in the 80s or something. D'Angelo Russell, I, I forgot exactly where he was. And then Schroeder and Gallo are also behind him. So they ESPN knows what they're doing. They're doing a great job marketing this because everyone has been talking about this constantly on Twitter. So great job by ESPN's marketing team. They played this out perfect. I think when it comes to just how they project stuff, uh, you have to take it with a little pinch of salt. You got to take it with a grain of salt because... They're really just there to search for headlines. It's not about being super duper realistic. What I believe, I do believe the projection they have is about right. I think that it's a really wide range. So if it doesn't hit, it's like, it'd be pretty bad. I have anywhere from 20 to 27 wins. May I think maybe they could even exceed 27 since our team is not that bad on paper. I like our starting five. Our bench, I think there may be a couple surprises. Um, yeah, but I think I think there are going to be some games where we will be like neck and neck with a playoff team and just be like, whoa, where the hell did that come from? I think that might happen a lot. I don't know if we're going to win them or lose them. I just think we're a lot more competitive than people are saying. And I absolutely love um, how our roster is constructed right now. Because we're going to have so many opportunities. It's, if we are losing games and we do have a bad pick, um, it's not like we're just intentionally tanking it or whatever. I mean, whenever, whoever we're throwing out on the court, they're trying to win the game. If we end up losing, it just is what it is. And that's what, come, that's what comes with tanking. But I, people may say, you know, we could be trying to tank because of how many guys we have on the court and that's why I mentioned opportunities a second ago there are going to be so many different rotations going in and out throughout the season we're not going to know who's starting uh who's safe it's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of wild tracking the team and it's really awesome uh being clued on on this stuff because it's super fun to hear all the news on the team and all that some of the different like rotations that I really want to see just like combos, really. I want to see SGA and Teo Maladon together. Maladon is a pass-first guard. If you're throwing SGA out there, the expectation is he's your primary ball handler. Maladon's also 6'5", just like SGA, so you can swap who's shooting guard, who's point guard. It doesn't really matter. All I'm saying is SGA is a ball handler. Maladon's a ball handler. It's perfect. You have a good primary and secondary ball handler right now uh, when you have SGA and Maladon on the floor together. I think Maladon could get some really good experience out of that. Maybe even SGA too. Um, I don't know if it'd be like Maladon ball handling and dishing out to SGA, vice versa. Either one works, and it's a scenario where that, that'd probably be happening. I really want to see it. I don't know how many minutes Maladon is going to get, 
much less how many is going to be with some of these starters like SGA. But man, I really hope that we see that sometime either during the preseason or the regular season because I do think it could turn into something really great. And Maladon could surprise some people, especially in that lineup. Uh, Get a little spotlight in playing with the, the starters. Another one, Admiral Schofield and Lou Dort. Both of these guys are freaking huge. They're like six... I think Lou Dort's listed as 6'3". I think he's more like 6'4". Schofield's around that that range of height as well. They both are so jacked. They are huge. Um, Schofield needs to work a bit on defense, but if he's able to get things figured out, having both of them together is going to be ridiculous. Schofield can shoot on offense. Dort needs to work on it. He's a work in progress there, but he, he will clamp up anybody Dort. If Schofield can do the same, throwing that roster in, it's going to do a lot of damage, and it's going to be super fun to see. Another one that I do want to see, um, Josh Hall, our two-way player um, who we signed, undrafted free agent. I think he came like straight out of prep school or whatever. He decided he didn't want to go to uh, NC State, so he stayed at prep school. Didn't get drafted, but he got picked up by us. I really love what I see in him. He's kind of similar to Baisley in the fact that both of them coming out, they kind of had the same skill set. It's like the athletic point forward. Josh Hall is known for like jacking up some crazy shots. Like He will shoot a mid-range in front of two people's faces. He somehow manages to hit them. He needs to work on shot selection. But if he's able to kind of mature in terms of how he shoots and he's able to find range from three like catch and shoots him and Basie will be great because they are both athletic point forwards uh Basie's an exceptional passer Josh Hall not as much he's more like an iso guy he's good at he's good at dribbling the ball in terms of dishing it out you do need he may need to work on it a ton uh not a ton but a little bit if he can figure that out, him and Baisley will be so fun to see. They are around the same exact frame. Baisley would be the power forward. Hall would be the small forward. Those are two secondary ball handlers you can pair with SGA, and you may even tack him into this. Uh, I really want to see it, and I have some high hopes for Josh Hall. So Throwing him in really any lineup would be amazing. Just this one is, is so fun to picture. Then my fourth one. Poku in general, everyone just wants to see him, but having him at small forward is would be ridiculous. He's like set, he's seven feet. There were reports from uh, David Blatt, who was the Cavs coach a couple years ago. He said that now he's like seven one and a half, which if that's true, that's insane. Seeing him at the three will be awesome. I think right now he's kind of on the thin side, so center's already ruled out. Power forward, he's undersized. Small four may only may really be the only position, but like, I don't know if he has the quickness or whatever. I just really want to see him there, see how it works. Throw him with whoever; it doesn't matter. Um, everyone just really wants to see Poku play. That's that's my thing with him, and I think he will get his chance uh, eventually, probably in the preseason. I think I think we're gonna see like a, a lineup of like all our rookies together. Two-way, whatever, probably have Josh Hall, Moses Brown, Poku, Maladon, throw somebody in at shooting guard. There you go. That'd be fun to see. Um, But yeah, so I think with just all those opportunities, 
whether it be like the rookies that I listed or whoever I listed, there's going to be some people breaking out. And I am completely stoked for this because there's a lot of returning guys that I believe will make a huge jump. And that is what I'm going to be going into next. Just who we should be looking out for this season. Now, I will say the order of these people, it's not really based on who I think is the better player. It's really just based off of who I'm most excited for. I'm excited for all of them. So, like, the the gap between 1, 2, 3, and 4, it's really slim. But, yeah, just know the rankings are just based off of what I, the players that I like the most. And, yeah, that that's pretty much what the ranking is. So, number one... Lou Dort, after his playoff performance last year, I'm surprised people aren't bringing him up more. Like, I feel like everybody's just already used to Lou Dort. No one wants to talk about the potential he has. It's all like, it's all about Baisley and SGA, which I totally get it, and they deserve it. But I just haven't heard much of Dort. Maybe I just haven't been looking in the right places. But Dort needs some love. He's 6'3", which I... I kind of disagree with. I don't. I think the website might not might need to update that. The, the other thing, two hundred fifteen pounds. I don't know. I think he might be more than that as well. This dude's built like Mark Henry, man. You do not want to mess him. Mark Henry minus like two hundred pounds. I think Hen- Mark Henry's like four hundred pounds or something. Take two hundred pounds off. You have Lou Dort right there. People want to call him the linebacker. He's like the miniature Mark Henry. So. You just don't want to mess with this guy. He's freaking huge. He's so aggressive, man. Don't mess with Lou Dort. I think everybody already knows that at this point. But I truly believe last season, he was the best rookie in terms of defense. Now, the only other person who's even you even can speak about, like maybe besides Dort, it's Matisse Thibel. And he led the rookies uh, last year in steals. And he was fourth in blocks. So the resume does look nice there. However, I think Dortz is a little bit stronger. Whenever you're comparing like first in steals, fourth in blocks, that's cool. But you have to keep in mind, if you're going to compare the two, there's a major asterisk. Because Dortz started his season in the G League. Matisse started his season in the freaking Wells Fargo Center. If it's still named that, you know what I mean? He started in the NBA, Dort needed to work his way up, and he was balling out in the G League, and it still took him like two months to even get his first game. It was like, I believe it was the Minnesota CP3, like untucked jersey game. There was a play um, where, I mean, he pretty much saved it. He set up what led to Chris Paul snitching and that Adams to Schroeder like touchdown pass. He led to that. He dove for a loose ball, got it, got the timeout. That's his first NBA game. That is a highlight of a season for anybody. The fact that that was in his first game, that's just amazing. And he kept building up and up and up. And the craziest part about it was he kept balling out every time he was playing. Um, But he was still getting sent back and forth from the NBA to the G League. This guy did not have any preparation really this se- like last season. It was bouncing around from the blue to the thunder. And it's nice that, I mean, they're together because you don't have to deal with issues. I mean, whenever the D-League team was in Tulsa, I loved it first off. But it must have sucked for a dude who was like 
for a player who was going from the G the, from the D League to the NBA over and over, Tulsa to OKC, that must have completely sucked. So I'm unhappy that it's not in Tulsa anymore because I loved watching them. But um, it, I mean, it really is just better for the team because there's no hassle of going back and forth. Regardless, though, with the two-way contract, like, it wasn't like he could be training with the Thunder, like, practicing with the Thunder, and then go to the the G League game. It didn't work like, it doesn't work like that. So, even though he's still in OKC, he could only work with, like, the Thunder when it was, like, game day, or maybe, like, one day before, if he's lucky. He wasn't with the team enough last year, and what, I mean, what he, like, had to go through in terms of, like, balancing between the two leagues, he did such a great job. In the stat sheet, when you compare it, like, the regular season numbers, he's not super high up there, but he wasn't getting high minutes to begin with. He was two months back. Even when he was balling out, he had to take two-week, he was taking, like, two-week breaks over and over. He finally established himself, and he was great. So, the regular season numbers, say all you want about that. I want to talk about the playoff numbers, man. Um, when you're comparing the resumes, like, I'm taking the Hardenstopper over Matisse Thibel because, I mean, if Thibel was able to lock down Harden for seven games, sure, Thibel's better. I don't know if he, I don't know if he, uh, would be able to do that. You can give him the shot, but the way Dort did it, Dort was probably the best defender in that whole entire playoffs, like... There was no exciting defense outside of Lou Dort. There was a lot of exciting offense in the bubble, but no one was playing defense like Dort was. And I just think he's like one of a kind from there. When we're looking at perimeter defense, his discipline is like on another level. When it comes to using his hands and like getting off the floor, he's not falling for any of these little tricks. You see all the time rip throughs. Katie used to do them. They say they they got banned like in 2012, like they're not calling them anymore. They still call them every once in a while, so he doesn't fall for that stuff. You can't get him airborne and then just run into the guy. He stays on the feet pretty much all the time. You, It's like once in a blue moon where you can get that shot with him. And then you can't hook his arm off screens, and that's my favorite part about him. He takes away the superstars like bailout moves. If they're cold... They're going to have to get the points inside. If they want to go to the free throw line and get anything, it's inside. Because you're getting clamped up from the perimeter. You're not going to get any bailout calls. You have to get physical. And that's just how he makes you play. So we saw it with Harden. He was freezing cold when Dort was on him. A lot of the times he had to drive in. That's how Dort got in foul trouble. And that might have been the Rockets game plan. I believe I don't know if it was game five or game six. But they got him in early foul trouble just off driving into him. And that was smart. Harden is not Harden was not able to just get hot from the perimeter. Just because of his ability con- to contest. He gets the hand out. Um, and then right as you think you can draw a foul, he pulls it back. So then you're left airballing and leaving things short. Now, um, just something funny that I want to bring up with uh, him being so good at like screens and not getting, you know, absolutely destroyed by the little hook moves whenever, you know, we saw it whenever we were playing the Houston Rockets a couple years ago, Robertson and just everybody, the downfall was someone sets a screen up top 
If you go over the screen, your arm's extended. Robertson did this. Harden just hooks your arm and flings his his hands up, and he gets three free throws every time. You can't do that with Dort. He's so good at going over screens, going under screens. It don't matter. You're not allowed to do that. And it was so funny watching them have to settle for other stuff in the playoffs. Jeff Green, if Jeff Green wasn't there, Houston wouldn't have advanced. Jeff Green saved them because pick and pop scenarios. He was always there, just open because you're not gonna leave Harden. Dort's not gonna leave Harden open. There's no way he's switching. The big guy normally didn't get go over to Jeff Green, so he just had wide open shots. But just it was just so satisfying and funny watching Harden try to pull all these tricks, and Dort wasn't having any of it, and the refs really weren't either. Doris Burke was awesome. She was being so like. People say biased. I just think the way she was covering the playoff game, uh, the Rockets Thunder playoff game, is great because she was just complimenting Dort the whole time and complaining about Harden. That's what I love to see. We should get Doris Burke in some of our Thunder games more often. Um, too bad we don't have any nationally televised games, but still, super fun. That was a super fun game to game to listen to and watch. So, yeah. Um, in in terms of interior defense, he has so much upper body strength. He's not getting tossed around in the paint. I mean, he can guard, I'd say, almost any position. He's fast enough laterally to get the guards a perimeter. You can't take him inside because you're tiny and Dort's huge. And for these big dudes, I mean, Dort is still, he's super damn strong. You're not going to be doing a ton. So along with that, just being super you know, physical upper, when it comes to upper body strength, they're not moving him. He will, he will risk his body on the line for a foul charge. Like he will come out of nowhere, set his feet. You'll just hear a huge, like smack. It's a charge. Like every time he's so good when it comes to that. That's what I love with him. Um, you think he's going to be like getting all rough with you. And then out of nowhere, he just, he gets the charge. And what can you do at that point? You kind of, I don't know, you kind of just got to play the way he's playing, I guess. And you got to play physical with them, like I just said. I mean, the only concern I have with Dort in terms of, like, interior defense, sometimes he does get, like, way too physical, and there are some foul calls. I think when I'm looking at the Houston series, some of the foul calls he was getting, kind of BS, I think. People were flinging around into him in the paint. They were calling him. The refs know a lot more about what is a foul and what's not. I just feel like there's a need to complain about it. I don't know if they were 100% on those. But outside of that, like, there's no issue when it comes to perimeter or interior. I think he's great. Perimeter defense, only knock on interior is giving up fouls every once in a while. On offense, finishing ability inside. He's great. Um, If you give him the ball at the three... I mean, people were sagging off on him, but if he didn't want to, if he didn't feel comfortable popping it from three, he has a really good crossover. He gets by the defender, and then he's gonna drive right inside. And on TV, it may look, it may not look like he's like super duper fast, but he is. Like I said, he's freaking huge. So if I see Lou Dort barreling down into the paint, I'm probably just walking away. He can have the two points. I'm not even gonna worry about it. I hope coach doesn't get pissed off at me, but. That's what I'd be doing. Nort's just too huge. 
So he's able to get through with that crossover. Um, I mean, you'd think that with him, it'd just be him running straight in and going up for a layup or dunk. He's good at, like, pump faking inside. He'll get people jumping, and then he just scoops and scores it in. I saw that countless times against Houston, and even other times, like in fast break, he doesn't even need to do the the pump fake. He'll, he'll just go right in on you, and like, even normally, he'll go right in on you. He's fine. He's he's great from there. So, just driving in, he's good. If he wants to post up a tiny guard, it's, it's so fine, because he will post you up, and he'll flip the shot up, and two points, I'm pretty much every time, so... Gotta love what you see from him um, in terms of scoring inside. The knock is obviously shooting, but I'll get into that in a second. My favorite thing with him, it's the little things. You don't see it on this stat sheet. Defensively, when I'm looking at the regular season stats, they don't pop off the page. And in the Houston stats, you probably got to dig into the advanced stats if you want to see how good he was. On paper, it doesn't look spectacular. But, um... If you're watching the game, you'll see how much value he has. Like, he has had hustle. He's been hustling since, literally since his debut. I told you about the Minnesota story. Ever since then, hustle, hustle, hustle. He dives through all the loose balls. He sacrifices himself for screens. And he's going in on rebounds pretty much every time. And there's countless times where he, he'll get the offensive rebound and he'll get the second chance points or wind up at the free throw line so you love to see it from him I brought up the discipline you got to play physical with him or else you will have issues if you resort to taking threes it is going to be a very rough time for you Harden saw it firsthand he's probably telling people don't mess around with him like that because you're gonna have to drive in if you want to be able to have success against him like even in pick and rolls, which is where you would think he would struggle at. He's either going over the screen, and he will leave his hands on the side. He's not going to leave his hands sticking out for the defender to try to create any BS out of nowhere. He's leaving him to the side. You're not going to be able to touch him. And then right after he gets off the screen, he pounces right in front of you, and he will contest the shot if you want to shoot. If not, he's already set up again, and that screen was pretty much useless. Now, um, the other way, if he just goes under the screen, he's immediately stepping up and contesting. You're not going to have enough time. Believe it or not, you're not going to have enough time to get that shot off and be wide open. He's still going to have your hand, he's still going to have his hand in your face. So just the way he plays over pick and rolls, that's something that stands out with me. I have not seen that kind of pick and roll defense before from really any Thunder player. I'm not sure if any, like from any NBA player at all. Uh, maybe like in history, there are guys who play like that. I just haven't seen it, uh, at least in, in the past couple years outside of Dort, the way he plays on the screens. Now, the only negative that I can think of, it's shooting the three ball and everybody already knows that he has an issue there in terms of not being consistent. I mean, he showed he could shoot it some games, but other games, I mean, it was, it was really just a huge it was really just a huge setback whenever he was had to shoot up threes. It was the best shot, but he just couldn't hit anything. Um, he was a liability in the playoff series, games one through six. 
He shot 7 for 38 from 3. That's 18.4%. And there was nothing you could do as a viewer but just sit back and watch it and hope it went in. He was struggling big time. Picked it back up. Game 7. Dude went 6 out of 12 for 3. So he ended the season on a high note. Obviously it sucks we couldn't make it to that second round. But just that performance alone. It gives a lot of hope to me, and it should give a lot of hope to other people. When he's in the zone, he's in the zone, and he will rack up threes like that. It wasn't just Game 7 where he was doing that thing, where he was just hitting three after three. There were games in the regular season where he was shooting like four or five from three, or two or two, or three or three from three. He had games where he was hitting, and then other games, like in playoffs, he was like 0 of 8, 0 of 9. So it's really just a dice roll. If he's able to figure it out and become a consistent three-point shooter, I don't really see a huge hole in his game. Like, personally, I don't know where I'd rank him in shoot like shooting guards, like where I'd rank him uh, compared to others, like top 30, top 20, whatever. If he's able to sure up that three ball, he has no holes. He's a top 15 shooting guard in my book, and I think other people will pick up on him. I saw some some little articles on top 30 shooting guards it wasn't from like a major source or nothing they didn't even mention Lou Dort's name I was like this guy is kind of crazy not even an honorable mention I think he's up there right now in terms of like top 30 if he's able to get that three-pointer it's top 15 for me man and everybody's gonna be talking about Lou Dort he's still like only 21 years old and he has a lot of room to grow like once he figures out the three he still has more room to grow on defense more room to grow finishing more room everything he's got more room to grow so everyone should be really excited for Lou Dort I don't think people have been sleeping on him because we all know how great he is but I don't know we must have just got too used to him being great because he was like our savior in the playoffs uh and I think I don't know about savior of the season this this season but he can be a really crucial part of the team this season and way beyond. So I'm pumped up for him. Now, second dude on my list, Darius Baisley. I think a lot of attention also. There's a lot of attention on Baisley, but there also is a lot on SGA. As I mean, he's the new leader of the team. Baisley has a huge chance to sneakily be like a most improved player candidate. Now, his role has been expanded so much with Gallinari going to Atlanta. It's opened up. You can put him at small forward or power forward. Um, I think with the more minutes and just more chances, he will produce a lot more. And I think his potential, we're going to see, like, he has so, he had so much potential coming out of the draft. We're going to see him getting that shot. Will he take it and become great? I, I sure hope so, and I think... He has the tools too. So just his main selling point coming out of high school and entering the draft, it was playmaking and it was really just, it was passing and just dribbling. He was already a point forward. He was ranked, I believe he was like 13th in the 2018 class. He was in, he went to Syracuse or he committed there. He decommitted and was with, um, got his contract over like New Balance and then he's with us so he had a weird path um 
But yeah, I mean, he was a big name coming out of high school. Everyone was saying how he is a point forward. We didn't really get to see him in that ball handling situation, um, in a ball handling role last year. Now, I do think he gets that shot. Chris Paul's gone. Schroeder's gone. Who's that secondary ball handler in our starting lineup right now? I think the second dude is probably Baisley, to be honest with you, and I do think he can do very, very well. He's he's just a point forward. I mean, last year, just the spot-up shooting, screen setter on pick and rolls. He was great on pick and pops. He used to just drive and dish, find the open guy, which is great to see. Now in that ball handling role, he will be a problem. He's 6'8", 208 pounds. I think his wingspan's around 7 feet. We've already seen his athleticism. He drives in, he will dunk that down. I mean, layups, dunks, doesn't mean doesn't mean much. Regardless, he's getting two points if you're not able to keep up with him. He's so quick, and with the handles of his, he's going to stun defenders. And if teams are willing to throw a power forward on Baisley, in a one-on-one situation, I I'm taking I'm taking Baisley pretty much every time. I mean, there might be a couple exceptions, but the average power forward's not going to play defense on Baisley well enough. Uh, whether if they want to sag off, he's shown he can shoot the ball, um, especially in the playoffs. I do think it's fair to say he's going to keep shooting well. He can shoot just off the catch. He can shoot off the dribble. Doesn't matter. He can create shots for himself. Or he can just, like I said, catch and shoot it. So, you love to see that from him. He has all the pieces to be great as a point forward. Um, he just He's just needed that opportunity. And we are going to get that opportunity. He's going to get that opportunity. Now, a little question mark has been on the defensive end. It really got minimized um, in the playoffs because since we were playing Houston... They really didn't even have a real power forward center. I think P.J. Tucker and Covington were the only guys that you could really classify as like a power forward, not even a center. So it wasn't like he was matched up against any huge guys. Um, if we were playing like like Denver or something and he was matched up on Millsap, you probably could see if he needed work or not. But we never got to that point, so... You really just can't take the Houston series as, oh my gosh, he can, he's really good defending big guys because they really weren't that big. If we had a playoff series against, like I said, a, a team that is big like Denver, it would have been way different. So he was asked during um, media week, it might have been a couple days ago, uh, about like his role on defense. And he said he's going to ask for certain challenges, whether it's bigger wings and even getting switched out to guards on ball screens if I have to, guarding the post. He wants to do it all. That's exactly what you want to hear from Darius Baisley. He wants he wants it all, man. He wants to guard guards. He wants to guard bigs, wings. He has the ability with that frame and speed to probably guard like a shooting guard. I don't know about point guards. Maybe. I think he can guard a, a shooting guard. Uh, small forwards, yes. Power forwards will need to work on it. If he's able to work on that body and work on that interior defense, I think he will be great on power uh, as a power forward. Now, uh, the sky's the limit, really, when you think about it. If he's able to become good on defense, because it's almost like a 
opposite of Dort. Baisley has all the tools on offense, needs to work on defense. Dort has all the tools on defense, and he has some finishing, but he needs to work on a really key part of offense, which is shooting the ball. So if both of them are able to figure it out together this season, they're going to be a pretty dynamic duo, and I think... uh, I think having them two both on the court it will be a threat for opposing uh, opposing teams, especially on offense. Dort's really good at clamping people up. If Baisley can clamp people up with that frame of his, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to see how teams try to work around their uh, their skill sets. So, yeah, I think a realistic like stat. Or yeah, season averages for Baisley will be around like the twelve point six rebound to assist mark. Three point shooting, I have thirty six percent, a little higher, a little lower. That's just kind of uh like a bar I'm setting really. I think he can hit it. Um, he might even do better. Shoot, uh, if with the shot with the chances he's gonna be getting, very well could happen. Now. The third dude, which people will say should have been number one. I get it. It's SGA. Um, personally, just how I've always been, I am always in love with role players and like second and third options. When it comes to like the first options, I love them, but I don't like pay much. I don't really like pay as much attention to them as I do some of like the people, people like the, I don't know. I always look into people that a lot of fans don't know a ton about. Like, I've always liked Singler. I've always liked Burton. I've always loved Diallo. And now some of these guys like Baisley and Dort, I love them too. And shoot, I love SGA too. He's the first option. Um, But yeah, so I've seen like other podcasts where people discuss like SGA's averages. For me... I think the most crucial part with SGA season isn't even the stat line. I think it's just, is he going to be able to manage being the primary ball handler? There's no Schroeder or Chris Paul anymore. He's the main guy. And as I said, Baisley is probably your secondary ball handler. Outside of that, like Teo Maladon, maybe, but I don't know how, I don't know how much he's going to be playing, um, especially with him. So he needs to be able to work on on being that primary ball handler. If he's able to establish himself as a primary ball handler, it's an immediate success. And he turns into a star in my book if he isn't already. Just a little fun, like, hypothetical. If he's able to establish himself as a primary ball handler, what does it mean? Like, if we end up getting the first pick in the draft next year, I know the odds are slim. But if we do, and SGA becomes a really good point guard, Cade Cunningham would be on the board. Do we take him or no? I don't know. I love Cade Cunningham, so I probably would. But it just really depends on the situation. Maybe Presti like somebody else in the in the draft class if Gildas Alexander does uh, very, very well. But yeah, he already is a great shooter. The form's a little wacky. Um... I kind of a slow release, but he's able to get it off like every single time. So I don't know if it's because teams were kind of sagging off on him and testing him last season, but 
I, if people are trying to like, if coaches want to play super tight on him because now there's not as many options, I'd say on offense. If people want to like play super tight and risk stuff, they sure can. But SGA will get around you and he can finish. I mean, he's really good at at floaters. He'll take a layup. It doesn't matter too much. But yeah, he's good inside and as a shooter. He just needs to establish himself as a, a, a playmaker, really. He needs to set up people for shots. It's not like um, it's not like last year, wherever a lot of SGA's points came from spotting up and getting a wide-open three from Chris Paul. The tables have turned. SGA is going to be the one setting up, I don't know, the Lou Dorts, the Baisleys, the Pokus, maybe even. He's going to be setting them up for the threes. So it's different, and he's exchanging those points that he was getting for assists. So if I were to say like what an average would be, just first off, I've heard some averages like of 27, 6, and 6. I forgot who said that, but oh my gosh, this guy thinks SGA is going to be a freaking like superstar. Like, wow. I think a, I think a modest prediction is like 22... Uh, points like four rebounds and six assists he had around like I forgot if it was like four or five rebounds last year I don't think he's gonna expand much on those just because in his new position at point guard you're not gonna have that many they're not gonna have as many opportunities I'd say going for boards and all that but I do think his assists will spike up to six that's good in terms of uh shooting I've, I think 23 is also realistic. I've heard up to like 25, 5, and 5. If he hits that, that is amazing. I just think 22 is a solid number. It's it's a it's a step from last season, but it's not like spiking up major improvement. Even with those numbers, 22, 4, and 6, could he even be, be in the most improved, uh, improved player conversation? I don't know. 25, 5, and 5, yeah, he's taking on most improved player, but... I don't know. So, the fourth dude I want to talk about is Hamadou Diallo. And I threw him here because, obviously, there's like a little big three almost with Dort, Baisley, and SGA. I don't want to throw Diallo above all of them, so I just threw him here. But I will say, I absolutely love Diallo, and I've said countless times on here, um, that 2018 Summer League, man, that was something special. Diallo and Burton doing freaking... I don't know if they were doing 360 dunks. That might have been Burton doing one of them. I know he did it when he was playing in Korea. But we have people doing some crazy dunks. Diallo's flying around. Burton's flying around. Burton's hitting game winners. Diallo's soaring up for rebounds. Really fun year um, in terms of Summer League. I don't think I've had as much fun watching Summer League than that. After that, there really was no chances. Burton... I don't know if he's out of the league for good, but he's not on an NBA team right now. And with training uh, camp rosters kind of being finalized, he may be left out the cut and he may need to look elsewhere. Diallo got his team option extended, though, so he will get his chance. Ferguson's gone. He's going to be absorbing those minutes. Um, And I not only could see him playing like as a key part of that second unit, he may be even starting at the start of the season or at least playing a ton of minutes with the starters because I had Ariza being like a starting small forward for us 
with him kind of not knowing not knowing the timetable with him there will be adjustments made and i think diallo could be the starting shooting guard and dort get bumped up to small forward keep that little small ball lineup going um at least through the one through four now um we all know kind of what the deal is with him he is a freak athlete he won the dunk contest a couple years ago he jumps over Shaq, rips out superman logo uh under his jersey that was cool uh after that he really didn't play a ton but yeah we've seen he can fly like his ability to just stay up in the air whenever he tries to go in for layups or dunks whatever it may be first off he's trying to posterize you if he can do that and he gets stood up a bit he will he will soar up there for a little bit until he's able to get a shot off and the touch isn't there all the time he leaves it a little bit strong but just seeing that kind of stuff going on where he is able to hang up there and get what looks to be a good shot a lot of the time it's really good to see, and I don't even think you need to work on his uh, inside game that much because he's very, very good at that. Another thing that he's very good at, and he's a little bit underrated at, is rebounding. So, said Summer League, he was throwing up for rebounds. He was doing that with us this season, or la- last season. He averaged 3.6 rebounds per game last season, and one of those was an offensive rebound every time. Now, he crashes the glass every time he can and I believe a lot of his points may just be from second chances because he does go up there if he snags it he's just immediately flipping it right back up and that should be an easy two so he's great at uh offensive rebounding I do think that um he should be able to continue to do that I don't know why he wouldn't be able to but yeah the negatives with him First off, he's just a foul magnet. I think on defense, he has never, like, developed a ton. He averaged 2.2 fouls per game last year in just under 20 minutes. So, that's bad numbers. You got to fix that if he wants to have a bigger role with the team. Uh, And the other thing is just shooting. We've seen that form of his. That hitch on a shot is kind of ugly. When it goes in, it goes in. There's been footage going around of him having a better jumper. Uh, I just want to see him hit more jumpers. I mean, I think like NBA, I think other NBA teams wouldn't mind letting Diallo let it fly from three. They don't care what the release is. They He just hasn't been shooting well from three at all in his career. So he's going to be able to let it, fr- uh, let it fly this season if he's given the green light to. If he's able to fix up that shooting, man, um, you could have something there with him. He's only 22 years old. He already brings that uh, elite athleticism with him. He's on the map with that. Got to work on the defense and shooting, man. Wants a bigger role on that team. Defense, shooting. Lower those fouls down. Y'all, it could be really good. So, outside of that, I have nothing for you guys today. Thank you all for listening to today's podcast. I will try to get one out to you as soon as possible. Other than that, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you all later.